It is a joy to be with you. Think about the songs that we sang, about how we were saying that there, there can be change in our world. There can be change in our hearts. There can be change in our families. Uh, pray healing on our nation. And it, it's, it's much bigger than nation. This is, about, this is about the true power that is going to change our world. Jesus. Please turn in your copies of the scriptures to Exodus 35. This is a most fascinating portion of scripture. Exodus 35. And God in his providence knew that on this Sunday we were going to, at the end of the service, have a commissioning that is about building his church. And this passage deals with how God wants to build his kingdom on earth. Now, we are sometimes jaded in the Western world when we read the Old Testament. We think, well, what does that have to do with us? What's the big deal about the tabernacle? You know, it is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Now, I also have to tell you a little personal experience with tabernacles. When I was in, when we were at SMBI, I think the second year we were there as students, I took a class, uh, Hebrews, by Leroy Yoder. And Leroy, it was, uh, he loved types and shadows and kind of looking back. And I built a model tabernacle for my project, my class project. And I used Exodus to build my model tabernacle. I told Chris this morning, I'm not quite ready. Maybe with some persuasion I'd help. But I'd love to take the youth and the junior youth and build a scale model tabernacle. Because there is so much here. Like if you guys are interested, we could, uh, you'd do the work, I'd, oversee, I'd be Moses and oversee the work. You'd be the skilled craftsman. But there is something really powerful when we do hands-on and build something with our hands that, that, oh, this is how it was. There are so many pieces to this. And, and so let's begin. Now let's just kind of build out what's happening. So the first 34 chapters of Exodus take roughly five months of time. Roughly five months. Not the first part, but the, Israel, uh, the children of Israel have left Egypt roughly five months. The last five chapters that we're covering today are roughly seven months. Seven and five is what? Twelve? Twelve months is a year? So... What did they, how did they, what, what is the first thing they, what's, what did they do right before they left Egypt? Celebrate the Passover. So they're getting ready to celebrate the, the, the first year Passover after they've left the prom, uh, after they've left Egypt. Now think about this. Moses comes around, uh, the children of Israel are slaves. They're stuck here in this world, they're slaves. And they're, they're good slaves, they work hard. And, and then Moses comes around, and then they have to work harder. Because he begins to put pressure on Pharaoh. And then you have this, all the plagues. I, I put it into kind of four pieces here. There is the plagues. Think about the plagues. They devastate Egypt. Uh, Chris covered it well. They devastate Egypt. And right before they leave Egypt, uh, Moses tells the people, now you go to your neighbors, all your neighbors, and you ask them for something. Get the, ask them for their jewelry 
and their fine clothes. And by now the people are so, they realize that the God of this, these Israelites is at work and they're scared. They're losing everything. And, and in, uh, in chapter, uh, let me just flip here quickly. In chapter 12, verse 35, it says, Then the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. Now this is all important. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. 430 years of labor are getting paid back. And there's a lesson in that. God's people will win at the end. And so, it may not look the way we think. You know, generations have died in slavery. But at the end, Egypt pays for what they've done to God's people. And they pay dearly. When the children of Israel leave Egypt, it is absolutely plundered. Livestock is dead. People are dead. All the firstborns are dead. Lice, flies, darkness has invaded the land. And then, right before they leave, the children of Israel say, go to their neighbors and say, now give us your gold jewelry and your best clothing yet, or... You can, the or is hanging there, or we will bring even more punishment on you. They say, here, here, take this stuff, take it all, take it all, take it all. And they do. So they're carrying the gold of Egypt with them when they leave. And right before they leave, there's this. So you have the plagues, and then you have the plundering, and then right before they leave, they have the Passover. This strange thing with the Passover lamb, where the lamb is, uh, they, they take this innocent lamb and kill it. And put that on the doorposts and lintels, and, and their house isn't touched by death. The rest of Egypt is touched by death. And it says the wail of Egypt was so loud, the cry, oh, that wail of anguish is so loud. And it's a wail of a plundered people, and they leave. And they, they think they're going to go to the promised land. Now they're on their way. And then the pillar of God. Oh, by the way, there's still the Egyptian army to deal with, so God does. Think about this. They leave Egypt, and Egypt is almost, I mean, what's left? No army, no gold and silver, death of the firstborn, livestock's dead, crops are gone. What's left? Interestingly enough, in Egyptian history, there is a pharaoh who rules a very long time, almost 90 years. And then there is a pharaoh who rules for a very short time. And immediately at the end of his rule, a few years, Egypt falls into a decline where you don't hear about him for a hundred, couple hundred years. What happened? Well, we all know what happens. Egypt declined. Now they get to go to the promised land. And you can imagine, they're, they're going out, and they're saying, when will we get there? And then Moses takes them this strange way. Takes them out of the way to get to the place they're going. <clears throat> and after five months on the road, or after a few months on the road, after a few weeks on the road, uh, Moses says, now we got to stop here. And, oh, now what are we going to eat? And then you have this, the manna. The manna issue. Like food. So what, what, what are we going to eat? And then... Uh, God supplies that. This is an amazing story. Like, we have lost bits and pieces of the story because we've, we've heard it too much. But it's an amazing story. And, uh, 
And then Moses leaves and goes up on the mountain, and the children of Israel say, now wait a minute, I need, what about, where, who is that, where's this Moses guy? Can we trust this Moses guy? He's gone. He's left. Can we trust him? And I said, well, and they go to Aaron. And Aaron, come on, Aaron. Uh, Wayne touched on this. Come on, Aaron. They build them. He says, bring me your rings, the rings that you took from Egyptians. So they bring their gold, some of their gold. And, and, Moses, and Aaron builds calves. And the people, children of Israel dance around these calves and say, look, this is the God who delivered. These are the gods who delivered. Hamlin. Nixus goldi Hamlin. And Moses comes down off the mountain and he see, hears that. And interesting enough, what Moses does, he says, you want gold? You want something you want to worship? You will. He grinds it up, throws it in the dust, and makes them drink it. Ingest it. And then God begins this process, this seven-month process of saying, you were soft slaves who had no idea. You were used to just submitting to every order, and you're used to living in that slavery mode. I need to make a nation of warriors out of you, and this is the process that I'm going to use. And it, it is really interesting how he does. So we're going to begin reading. In, that's the background, okay? So don't lose sight of that. And in, in, Egypt, in, Egyptian history, in Jewish history, the center point of their history is this moment, Exodus. It's the Exodus. Everything is built around the Exodus. When Paul writes about the children of Israel, he points back to the Exodus. When, when the writer of Hebrews writes about the children of Israel, and er, even today, Jewish history and Jewish theologians point to the Exodus. It is their delivery point where they became a nation, where they became a people. Re- keep that in mind. The Exodus. So in, in chapter 35, let's read together the first few verses. Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on it must be executed. Whoa, 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 stop. Did you just hear what I read? Anyone who works on Sunday needs to be executed. Whoo! That's a deterrent. Do not light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. Then Moses said to the entire Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing to bring this as the Lord's offering. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and oinks with gemstones to mount on the ephod and breastpiece. Now, let me ask you a question. How did a group of slaves get gold, silver, jewelry, fine clothing, yarn? Where did they get it? Whose is this originally? Well, it's theirs, but whose is it? Who gave it to them? They're slaves. Who gave The Egyptians. Okay? Now, let's, uh, let's skip down and begin reading again at verse 20. Then the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the holy garments. Both men and women came, all who had willing hearts, and they brought brooches, earrings, rings, necklaces, and all kinds of gold jewelry. Everyone who presented a presentation offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone who possessed blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or fine leather, brought them. Everyone make 
Everyone making an offering of silver or bronze brought it as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who possessed acacia wood, useful for any task in the work, brought it. Every skilled woman spun yarn with her hands and brought it blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were moved spun the goat hair by virtue of their skill. The leaders brought oinks and gemstones to mount on the ephod and breastpiece, as well as spice and oil for the light, for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. So the Israelites brought a free will offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to, to be done. And then Moses said to the Israelites, Look, the Lord has appointed by name Bezaleel, son of Urah, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft, to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every kind of artistic craft. He has also given him and Oheliab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with the skill to do all the work of a gem cutter, a designer, an embroiderer, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, and weaver. They can do every kind of craft and design artistic designs. That is an amazing portion of scripture. Number one, we'd be in trouble because we don't have uh, rings and uh, brooches and things like that to do this, but uh, be that as it may. Um, it, it is, so th they had this stuff, and the people brought it. They suddenly brought it. When else did they bring these things? When else did they bring them? When they made the golden calves. So this is about doing something about worship. And in both cases, they bring something and worship what in. It, it, it's designed to be put around worship. And when I, when I was reading that, I began to think a couple things. Now, so let's just back up and say there's a couple things we need to th think about in this passage that apply to us. First of all, he begins this passage by saying, stop. Stop. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day. And I thought, why is that here? Like, what, what's the point of having that here? And what I found was that it is in, in four places in Exodus. We think about it as the Ten Commandments, but it's in four other, it's in a total of four places in Exodus, and all of them are at key turning points. First of all, when the manna falls from heaven. Stop. You don't need to work seven days a week. You know what? You, you'll get more done by working six days a week and resting because you are designed for rest. You're designed for rest. Now, some of you are working right now. I see you're, I mean, uh, you're thinking about tomorrow, but anyway. Uh, no, I'm not saying anything about that, but I'm saying, okay, stop. God designed us in such a way that we, we work hard six days, then we stop. And so, so it's about manna. And then when it's given in the Ten Commandments, it points us back to creation and says, even God, who wasn't tired, stopped and enjoyed. So stop, rest, and enjoy. Enjoy the world around you. Enjoy your family. Enjoy creation. Do something that brings some joy to you. And then in chapter 31, it's mentioned, there it's about a covenant. It said, you are a unique people. I've called you to be my people, and therefore, you're not like the people around you. You stop. You work six days, and you spend some time with me on the seventh. So stop, rest, spend time with God. And then it's here. It's right before 
this heavy work they're about to do. The work is going to come. But you know what? All work stopped on Saturday night when they're building the tabernacle. They stopped. What, what they had to do was not so urgent that they had forgot the best. So the good didn't outweigh the best. Sometimes we're guilty of allowing good to outweigh the best. So I, I think there is something really big here at saying, stop, stop, step back, think, rest, enjoy, embrace the life of God. So it's also saying, can you trust me enough to not be so frantically working seven days a week that I'll take care of you? Manna. Manna. It's about God caring for us and us stopping and saying, God, I trust you to supply for us. Therefore, I'm going to stop. Now, notice I didn't tell you what you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. I don't know. We should have a series of sermons on Sabbath. Yeah, I think it would be healthy for us. But um, what I, I'm here to say is that this is so serious that if somebody did work on the Sabbath, cut their heads off. Whew. I'm not quite ready to say that. It shows that they did not fit with the covenant people of God when they didn't trust. The second thing, so, so he asked them to stop, rest, to trust. The second thing he said, now he said, I want your money and your possessions. The really fancy stuff you took that's in your tent. I want that stuff. It's not that God needs it or that he's greedy, but he understood something about their hearts. That if whatever that, whatever that gold and silver and that fine cloth and that ram's skin burnished to leather, the acacia wood and all those things, those things that they are going to, when they build an accumulation of those things, they're going to be tempted to worship those things. They did it once before with the golden calf. And he said, so if, if, if that's such a temptation, why don't you give it to the community of God and let them build something that you can really worship at and in? So when we give on Sunday morning, when that little red bag is passed, and God is saying, yeah, maybe a little more this time around. God at the end of your life, and he understands this about the children of Israel, at the end of their lives, a lot, they're, they're going to die. There's going to be so many funerals over the next 38 years. They don't know this. He said, why don't you just give me all that stuff you've been hoarding? Give it to me. Because you'll be tempted to worship those things. And let's use them together to build something where you can really worship at. And, and Giving is not about you actually fulfilling an obligation to give a certain percentage. That's not true giving. Giving is when you say, I'm going to give so that the house of God can be built, the, the kingdom of God can be built, and, and in that, we can worship. worship. Giving is about worship. So, our possessions will go to what we worship. I'm going through the healing process right now of getting rid of some books. 
books are my thing. And it's actually kind of painful for me to think, well, if I put that, will, will I ever, you know, it's not the same for everyone, it's a different thing. But there is always a risk for us as humans that our possessions will become what we worship. And we will always use them in worship. So if the people, if you say you are a person of God and you're not giving to the work of God in some way, I'm not saying percentages or anything here, but if you're not giving to the work of God, it reflects something about the stinginess of your heart when it comes to worship. This is all here. So Moses takes this stuff. And then there's this wonderful, he asks, so he asks for their, their trust and their worship on Sabbath. He asks for their possessions. And then he asks for their talents. He said, I have these two men that I put my spirit into and they are the world's most skilled craftspeople. Oh, can you, I, we, we, we look at Moses and we look at Aaron and say, look at these men of God. But what about Bezaleel and uh, the other dude? I can't pronounce his name very well. What about these two guys? They are as powerful in the kingdom of God as Moses and Aaron. And what it reflects is that God has given each of us gifts and an artist, a creator, and, and, and all of us are called to create. And we all will create kingdoms and worlds and bookshelves and libraries and statues and art and, and roofs. And I'm not minimizing that. I'm saying that, that what Wayne is called to do in, in putting a roof onto a, a commercial building in the, in the best way possible is an act of worship on Wayne's part. If we believe what, the, what this is about, then that is an act of worship, and he should do it with his whole heart, with everything he's got to do it. And Mike should be interested in how can I sell groceries in the best way possible that honors God, and in that, I am allowing my creative ability to just come out, and I honor God. That's why art. So, so think about the first thing we should study is creation. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and learn from her ways. We study creation, but then we study creation's creation around that. Art and literature and those things are beautiful things because they're a reflection of God's art. It's also why when art and literature turn vulgar and become twisted, what makes them so powerfully evil? Because they're a reflection of the creator's heart. And it's abused. So God wants us to bring our gifts and talents. And, and so they did. He filled them with skill. You know, I, I know many of your stories, and I'll keep picking on you, but I, I asked Marvin how many foals they delivered. 60, nearly 60 or 60 plus. You know what? For every foal they deliver, and every way that Marvin communicates with the owner of that foal and that mare, he's honoring God because he's doing what God is asking him to do in a good way in our world. So if you fill in QuickBooks numbers, if you make coffee, and you're called to that. So do it with all your heart and skill. And, and there is something so beautiful about honoring these craftsmen as being filled with the skill of God in their hands. Now, let's think about this in our world today. So, God is calling us to build his kingdom here on earth. We sang it. 
we praised and we worshiped and we clapped and we sang it and we invited Jesus to use us in doing that. We do that when we stop, we rest, we reflect on who God is, and then we give our energies and our possessions to the work of the kingdom. That's how we build providence. That's how we build Jesus' kingdom here on earth is by doing the very same things that God invites the children of Israel to. Now, it is also true that this generation will never see the promised land. Well, they, they will, two of them. Two out of this million and a half people, roughly, will see the promised land, will be able to enter the promised land. Two in their wives, probably, so four people. The rest of them will all have to die, but they are preparing the next generation. And for some of us, we cannot do everything that we need to in our lifetime, so we build it into the next generation and allow them to move forward. It is why it is so beautiful when Narita and I made the commitment to come to Providence late in 2018, and we began to attend here in 2019. One of our visions and goals was to get to the place where a younger person would be leading the church and that there'd be a team of pastors in place and it'd be functioning, and here we are took a little longer than we thought, and sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes an entire generation to get to the promised land. But we keep doing it. We keep throwing our energy into it. Now, the book of Exodus ends with this wonderful... So, so they build it. They build it. And junior youth and youth, see me after church. We'll talk about whether it's feasible to build a model tabernacle. I love to do that. Um, but... Builds a tabernacle. Think about Moses here now. Moses is actually, it says Moses hung the curtains. Why is it important that Moses hangs the curtains? Because from here on out, Moses is not going to go right into the presence of God. Moses will never, he, he, they set up the, the, the perimeter, then they build the tent inside, Moses hangs the curtains, and for the last time, Moses looks into the Holy of Holies. He places the items into the Holy of Holies, the ark, the, the, the golden bowl filled with manna, and then he steps back and puts up that curtain that ropes off the Holy of Holies. He's not a high priest. He never again goes into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest does that. And he steps back, and he builds the tent out around that and he'll never again go into that place because only the priests went into that place and Moses is not a priest. And Moses understands that he's also giving up to something much bigger. Saying, and then the presence of God comes down. Comes down and fills the tent of meeting. Can you imagine what this was like? When you're the children of Israel, it's the center point of your camp. You wake up at night and that pillar is there. The next morning, the cloud of smoke, God's presence is there. But this is all pointing forward, according to Hebrews 9, this is all pointing forward. And why is this so important? Why are these details so important? Why are these things so important? It's because it's pointing forward. It's pointing forward to the temple that will be built by Solomon. And when God's presence enters the, te the temple, as recorded in 2 Chronicles, the people, it says, the people were standing on gravel. But the people fell down on their faces in the gravel when the presence of God came in. And then somewhere in the next thousand, fifteen hundred years, they sinned their way and the presence of God left the temple. And then, 
the dividing line between heaven and earth was opened up. And Jesus comes to earth as the perfect high priest and the tabernacle. And on that Friday or Thursday or Friday, under the despotic rule of the Romans, the veil of the temple is torn open and the true high priest opens it up for all of us. To be able to enter that holy place where God dwells. And so today, you are the tabernacle. God has paid fine attention in creating you the way you are. He's the finest craftsman. And the presence and the spirit of God resides inside his tabernacle. That's why Paul says, we have this tabernacle that's broken and decaying, but someday it's going to become pure and whole. It is so powerful that they're building these curtains to, to house the things of God. And then when Jesus came to earth and when he died, the most powerful thing is the veil of the temple was rent in two. And suddenly we have access to this wonderful journey of the people of God. It is so powerful. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. This fine attention. I love reading about how the rings were made, how they made brass things to put the posts in. Picked them up. They moved this thing around. How did, you know, I've often wondered, like, who took down the inner curtain? Who took it down and, you know, the high priest went in and got the stuff. Did they put it into a box? I don't know. I have to read a little more and figure it out as they moved it. But this thing was movable and suddenly it settles down at a place called Jerusalem where you and I receive entrance into the tabernacle not made of hands for our lives today. Thank you, Jesus, that you care so deeply about our lives that even here you pay very careful attention to the details. I pray that you would move in us and remind us of how we are your tabernacle and how in our world today we are each of us is called to bring to stop to rest to trust to bring our possessions and, and bring them to you and say God what do you want done with these how do, am I the best steward of these and then to bring our talents to build your kingdom in the name of Jesus, amen.